No matter in life what you try to do, you're dead too. Hello, and welcome to You're Dead Too, the podcast about our shared inevitable demise. I am your host, John Toyson, and this week on the program, we again have nobody. Uh, this week, I wanted to talk about uh, another aspect of the funerals as we do our fourth dive into all the aspects of a funeral. And this week, I wanted to talk about cremation specifically. Um, before I do that, a couple of things to address, but I will get to cremation and all of the idiosyncrasies that come with, uh, that process. And boy, I am really going to be threading a needle to figure out a way to talk about this without being disrespectful or, uh, flippant. So bear with me as I try to figure out how to do this because, uh, here we get to the point of me, um, really facing the cold hard truth about the fact that we are meat suits anyway before i do that uh a quick thank you to everybody who's been listening and going through the funeral um process with me here in the entirety of the deep dive into it um, it's been really interesting to learn more about the custom and the practice of different faiths different religions and different cultures throughout the planet and as i've gotten a little more insight i'm feeling more comfortable delving into some more complex subjects so I'm going to be getting away from strictly Western practice and process uh, in the future here, but today I wanted to talk about really the the big binary of traditional burial or cremation. Today we're going cremation, so thank you for sticking with me so far. As always, if you've got questions, comments, concerns, feedback, whatever, please let me know at yourdead2 at gmail.com or reach out on Twitter or Instagram at yourdead2. Whatever service you're using to listen to this, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, iHeartRadio, whatever service it is, if you'd be so kind as to leave a review or a rating, that's the only way I'm going to be able to get any kind of um, public push beyond simply getting a mass of people. So in order to make sure people are getting some kind of benefit out of this, let's do whatever we can to uh, give some feedback. That way I know it's not going to be just garbage going into a void. That I know that I can give you something that's worth your time and that I can get um, a bit more of a public profile so that people can hear some more and be able to contribute and build a bit of a bigger community in order to reach a broader audience. I'd love to be able to help people with this. As I've said previously, this is not about some horrible callous grab for notoriety. This is simply acknowledging the fact that all things die no matter in life what you try to do you're dead too and we need to be able to talk about this it's the elephant in the room all of our existence is predicated upon it uh previous guest i believe it was dave or possibly kevin i would have to go back and listen to the entirety of the episode to figure it out but um yeah i think it was kevin actually kevin if you're listening i will credit you for this um I had previously said that I really thought sex was the driving motivation for all of our evolved fancy ape consciousness that everything that we're trying to do is procreate. Kevin really posited that it was death, that it was the uh, rejection of mortality, the idea that we could live forever, that death will never come for us. That really motivates us, and that's really why I wanted to be able to talk about this. This is one of the big... This is the big question of what happens and what happens after, so I really can't thank you enough for giving me the opportunity to do this. I really feel that this is what drives us. This is at the very core of our lizard brain, not just sex and reproducing, but just being here, being alive, gives rise to the notion of if we are the head to the coin, what is the tail? If this is the, you know, if this is the binary, what is the other side of it? I, I'm not 
necessarily striking new ground here, but hoping to provide some enlightenment and understanding into what those big questions are out there. So thank you for listening so far. I appreciate it. Um, it is continuing to be more so fall here in Minnesota. And as a result, it's already starting to look like winter. We are quickly embracing for our first snow of the season here, and I cannot believe it's already happening this early. I talked last week about the fact that we had a snowstorm in Halloween in 1992, uh, or was it 91? I'd have to check. But uh, that was like this horrendously early example of, oh my god, snow, we shouldn't have it this early. Well, uh, turns out, yeah, we're looking at, um, instead of October 31st, October 11th. Or October 12th, we're going to be getting some snow here. Um, so I don't uh, <laughs> I don't tiptoe around the fact that I think something very strange is happening on this planet. And um, we're really, really uh, altering and disrupting the, the extant systems that had been here. And as a result, we've created this weird system where it's a forced self-fed feedback loop of change and... Um, input to the system and as a result now it's going to be snowing here so i'm facing another halloween for the first time in 30 years where uh there's possibly going to be snow on the ground so i guess we're all going to be skiers again for halloween this year or potentially um if you have a bigfoot costume you can switch it up for a yeti costume or if you're some kind of bird maybe go as a penguin so just adapt accordingly i um had the privilege of attending a funeral for somebody this week who I was paying respects to. I didn't have a direct relationship to, but I was secondhand associated with the person, and it was just a beautiful service that I really was so grateful to be able to attend and pay my respects and show solidarity for the family of the uh, deceased. It was a, a beautiful day and a lovely ceremony, and I was struck by the juxtaposition of the kind children that were participating and talking of how they would miss their family member. And uh, I just associate so much with a funeral in a small town with the elderly. And this was a funeral led almost entirely by children, which is a really striking thing and really gave me time to consider what I was witnessing and the uniqueness of it all that I was very quite literally an observer in the process rather than being a participant. I didn't feel, not that I didn't belong, but that I had no closeness or connection. Again, I was there simply out of um, paying respects, uh, being an observer, being there to observe, like Uatu the Watcher. I was there to just um, be present for the moment, and it was strange. It was devoid of... The anguish and the soul-crushing and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth that I would typically associate with uh, going to a funeral, and it was very, uh, for me, uh, an, in an independent experience, and I don't want to uh, feel like I'm being in any way um, exploitative or disrespectful, but I just, I I was really struck by the beauty and the, the quietness of the service uh, from an outsider's perspective. It was really an interesting thing, so I, I don't I don't know if it's necessarily the most... Be <laughs> if it's the most um, socially acceptable behavior or um, if it's perverse somehow. I don't want to be a capital D, capital P, death pervert. Um, but it's interesting to attend a funeral for somebody that you are not close with and be so uh, 
present and not directly affected by. But um, I could certainly sympathize with all the people there, uh, and my uh, my condolences and. I don't want to say thoughts and prayers, but I don't want to say good vibrations, but I can certainly send positive mojo out their way. So uh, for that family, thank you for allowing me to be part of it. And uh, if they hear this, I'm sorry that uh, this would be the way to hear it, but I have nothing but reverence and respect for it. And um, I wish you all nothing but the best. So uh, navel gazing aside, let's get into funerals. Part four, cremation. So, let's put the fun back in funerals. Today I wanted to talk about cremation rather than traditional burial. Um, if you haven't heard of... If you've managed to stumble to this point of listening to a podcast and you have no idea what cremation is, please write me. Please let me know how this has <laughs> happened and what you think cremation is. But <clears throat> cremation is quite literally cremating the body or it's... Uh, using burning to destroy the body, to break it down to ashes, and the old phrase, from ash to ash to dust to dust. Uh, you are taking the body, and rather than burying it in the ground, you're burning it, you're applying heat long enough to completely destroy the body to the point that there's nothing but ash and bone left. And when I say bone, I mean that unless you are striking a fire hotter than you would think conceivably possible for a period of time longer than reasonable in any practical application of fire in the world at large i don't uh, i don't see why that would happen but basically hours and hours and hours all of this heat unless you're burning it to an absurd degree there will always be bits of bone left the calcium is molecularly not that distinct from stone, frankly. It, calcium is a mineral, and uh, you have to have fire that's hotter than magma, I mean, to break it down. But um, people do it for a variety of reasons. You know, if burial is the most common thing that we've done with the dead or with the deceased, cremation is actually accounting in American culture these days. It's actually about 50-50. It's on the rise. It's expected to rise up to the 60-plus percent by 2025 and beyond. Um, it does change region to region across the world. Japan, it's as high as 99% of all uh, death and uh, interments are done. It's almost everybody is cremated, whereas um, in some northern European countries, it's as low as 6%. So it really it varies greatly across culture, but it really has... Um, a number of factors that contribute to it, whether it's sociological or religious or economic or simple practicality. Um, I've talked about this a bit in the past of what do you do with a dead body? What are the reasons for doing what we do? You know, certainly historically there was reason to uh, do something with the body. You can't just have it sitting out. You can't just abandon a person in a field. I mean... Yes, technically you can, and I will eventually talk about sky burial, which is a more dignified version of that, but something is generally best done with a body so that you don't have the spreading of 
bacteria and disease as a result, particularly if somebody dies of a contagious disease, but also as a way to pay respect to the dead, as a way to honor them and recognize that the vessel is now empty, that there is a shell of what was a person. Um, some people find uh, cremation appealing over the thought of a burial simply because the slow, long decomposition process is unappealing or somehow off-putting. I can certainly understand that. People have aversions to claustrophobia or being put in the ground. That's also a factor. Additionally, there's practicality of how do you handle the body. So average person being the size of an average person, people take up space when they die. And if resources are scarce or if land is scarce or if... Um, people are scarce, you have to deal with this. So what what people have been doing for centuries upon centuries, I mean, this dates back to antiquity, is burning the body. And it's obviously not as simple as lighting a campfire and just pushing somebody in. There's more to it than that. You have to actually construct a pyre. Um, but to backtrack for a moment, um, a funereal burial would require a number of resources and uh, an amount of planning and people involved to help make this happen. You would have to account for the movement of the body from location A to B to C for, um, you know, leaving the place of death to the place of, um, not exaltation or worship, but the you know, place of reverence, a uh, religious site if possible, and then placing the, the body into the ground or into a, a tomb or a mausoleum of some kind. Let's say you're not able to do that, so what do you do? Um, up until modern history, you best option would be to burn the body, which, I mean, from a practicality standpoint, makes it as small as possible and requires the fewest number of people and requires, uh, in some cases, the fewest amount of material. Granted, the economics of a casket over a funeral pyre can certainly be weighed out, but I am not a mathematician. I am a philosophy grad, and uh, that's math that's beyond my level of uh, completion ability. So we're looking at cremation. The cost factor is also significant. I talked last week about simply the fact that most people can't afford to have a funeral unless there is cost allocated for it. Like if there aren't uh, life insurance or resources put aside for it, a cremation is markedly cheaper than or markedly more cost effective than doing a traditional um, casket and burial and uh, having a plot of land um, the vessel for containing the person's remains is smaller and you can actually spread them if it's a place of reverence or an act of love and mercy that you're doing for somebody you can uh, put them out to the world additionally You know, for surviving people, there's the matter of practicality. If you don't have access to a cemetery, if you're not, I mean, I'm not saying you're playing past the football, but there's the possibility of being able to have someone in your home, if you'd like. And let's say for some reason you have to move due to uncontrollable circumstance or change in life event, or if you have to simply sell your home, you're able to at least take the remains and bring them from one place to another. Um, additionally, I mean, if we look at it from a practical, 
cold calculating level, land is the only thing they're not making more of. So the less that we take up for people in the ground, of which there will always be more, this way you're taking up less space. You can actually build an outdoor mausoleum or uh, storage place that you can inter somebody that you know that they're there and they have a place that you can go and place your hand on and that you know that somebody is there and that you can connect with them even though who they are is long gone and that the remains are there. So, without diving in to give a history lesson, as I said, this dates back as far back as demonstrable humanity goes. I mean, at least 17,000 years for the earliest recorded example that we have. Um, there are the remains of the Mungo Lady, uh, in Lake Mungo, Australia, one of the first examples that we have on the record of an actual intentional cremation being done. I'm sure if we were of, uh, if we had better records and better historical footprint of uh, prehistorical civilizations, we'd be able to show um, earlier record of it. Because I think, you know, I'm I'm putting my own bias and assumption on this, but I think if you extrapolate from practicality, what happens when somebody passes away to what do you do with the body, as we've talked about so far, I, it's not a wonder that ancient humanity would have been able to come up with a solution like this. Um, the tradition follows through, uh, you know, the the cradle of humanity through uh, Babylonian civilization to, um, you know, Middle East all the way into Europe and uh, Hindu and Jainist culture. It's been a long-standing tradition for open-air funeral pyres in India that. Um, this is this is what is done. As I said, some cultures it's a 99% cremation rate, others it's far lower, but that, that has more to do with evolution of social construct over time than necessarily has to do with um, increasing population, for example. But this is something that has been consistent throughout humanity. Um, it really started to, in Western culture, take root um, with real advocates in the 1600s, and certainly as a result of an effort to encourage sanitation and uh, cleaner living conditions with the chaos that was uh, city living in medieval Europe, there was just a plethora of diseases available to um, take advantage of any sort of unclean conditions. So it was definitely a push to increase the practice um, based on practicality and concern. However, it was also throughout history used as a way to show, um, I don't want to say disrespect, but uh, vengeance upon the dead. Um, there were people that were burned post, uh, post-death as a way to deny them uh, the resurrection of the body. So in Christianity, generally through, I mean, I would say the majority of the tenets of Christian faith, whatever the idiosyncratic um, affiliation of your faith would be, there are the commonly held beliefs that uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ would lead to the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, that uh, Jesus would raise us from the dead, whether or not that's the literal corpse from the ground or your spirit being reascended into another life in heaven. I'm not going to get into the metaphysics of that, but to humanity in, you know, medieval Europe, that was seen as 
I think, a little more literal translation of that, in that if you did not have a body to come back to, you would be denied that resurrection. So it was seen as a way to punish um, sinners or people who were considered um, beyond saving by the church. But to speak to this on a modern level, uh, cremation occurs in a crematorium, um, which can often be but is not necessarily located within a funeral home. Um, a crematorium contains uh, one or more furnaces. It's an industrial furnace that's able to generate temperatures of up to 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit for American audiences or for anybody else in the world, that would be up to 980 degrees Celsius. So to ensure the disintegration of the remains, um, you have to have the temperature that high. It's generally, once you get to those temperatures, it's generally considered, um, you know, back of envelope math that at that temperature, you're burning about 100 pounds of the remains per hour. And then you can extrapolate from there how much somebody weighs, how long it would take. It's certainly becoming a more pressing issue in America that larger and larger people who pass away as uh, obesity increases are requiring greater and greater resources. But um, that speaks more to problems with the living than concerns with the dead at the moment, so we can speak to that at a later point. Um, additionally, this is done using typically oil, natural gas, propane. Um, it had previously been used, uh, they were using coal to do this, but it's hard to get a temperature that high with coal. Um, there are monitors available that you're able to watch and view the cremation process. There are some faiths in some cultures that they want to be able to observe the process. Personally, I don't think I would want to be able to see, but again, that's, you know, you're not forced to by any nature have to have that done. So that's, I mean, I would be hard-pressed to do that myself, but if you'd like to share how and why you're able to do so, I would love to hear more about that, so please write in and let me know, because again, I'm not going to know unless I'm hearing from people that actually experience this. Um, generally, now this is, again, painting with a wide western swath here, uh, crematoriums are not designed to cremate more than one body at a time. Uh, cremation of multiple bodies is generally considered illegal in the United States and um, many other countries, though exceptions can be made for, um, for example, uh, stillborn twins or, say, a mother and child who died during childbirth. Um, again, this is speaking to the gravity at which I'm addressing a subject here and I'm realizing I, I still need to tread very carefully given the um, potentially upsetting nature of this. But if you've made it this far... Thank you for sticking with me. I know that this is not necessarily fun, lighthearted stuff, but hey, it's October, and maybe it's fitting for Halloween? I don't know. Maybe strike that from the record, and I'll stop embarrassing myself. Um, the chamber where the body is placed is called a retort, and it's lined with heat-resistant refractory bricks. So they're actually... Those are designed in several layers. The outermost layer is simply an insulation material like mineral wool. Inside is typically a layer of insulation brick like... Uh, calcium silicate. Um, Heavy-duty crematories are designed with two layers of fire bricks inside the insulation layer, and the layer of fire bricks in contact with the uh, combustion process protects the outer layer, and they have to be replaced from time to time because they will eventually wear down and break down from the exposure to excessive heat over and over again. Um, the 
coffin or casket or container is inserted into the retort as quickly as possible to avoid heat loss through the top door. Um, so it's not like you're, you know, just cranking this up from nothing. You have to have the heat high, ready, hot, blaring, ready to go, and then you insert or charge the retort with the with the remains. Um, so those heat-resistant bricks actually reflect the heat back into the retort so that it continues to push and you know trap the energy and trap the heat within to keep it as efficient as possible in non-man-made structures or you know non-industrial settings the way that this is achieved typically is by using a funeral pyre which is not unlike a pyramid or tower structure but you use combustible material typically wood with additional kindling and heat accelerators to channel the heat into a tower and to continue to concentrate it as it goes up so that you place the body higher up and those high heats they don't get as high as they do in these industrialized settings they can't hit that 1700 degrees fahrenheit they're closer to say 1400 degrees fahrenheit um which of course requires that you burn the body for much longer as a result um, becomes closer to days rather than hours because you're having to burn at a lower temperature and it takes longer to to break the body down into nothing but ash and bone um, united states federal law does not dictate any container requirements for cremation for cremation certain states however can require opaque or non-transparent containers of all cremations and that could be anything from a simple corrugated cardboard box or a wooden casket um, most casket manufacturers provide a line of caskets that are specifically built for cremation so you can still have the traditional casket um, and forego the uh, entire cost of embalming another option is a cardboard box that fits inside a wooden shell which is designed to look like a traditional casket after the funeral service the box is removed from the shell before cremation permitting the shell to be reused uh, funeral homes uh, often off often also offer rental caskets which are traditional caskets used only during the service after which the bodies are transferred to the containers for cremation so rental caskets are sometimes designed with removable beds and liners which are replaced after each use again this is uh, particularly delicate information that we're not normally considering when having to attend a funeral ourselves um, in the uk the body isn't removed from the coffin and is not placed in the container as described like that we just did the body is cremated with the coffin which is why all british coffins that are to be used for cremation must be combustible um opening of the coffin is forbidden once it has arrived at the crematorium and rules stipulate that it has to be cremated within 72 hours of the funeral service therefore in the uk bodies are cremated in the same coffin that they're placed in at the undertakers although regulations allow the use of approved cover during the funeral service so it's recommended that jewelry be removed before the coffin is sealed for that exact reason you can't get back in and it's against the rules when the cremation is finished remains are passed through a magnetic field to remove metal which will be interred elsewhere in the crematorium grounds or um, most often these days recycled actually uh, ashes are entered into a cremulator to further grind remains down into a finer texture before being given to relatives or loved ones or scattered in the crematorium grounds where facilities exist again it's not that this it's not that this process doesn't work but that 
we don't burn down as cleanly as we think we would. It's it's not unlike the descriptor of CPR on TV as being clean, pretty, and reliable. Um, you know, you see somebody barely pushing if they're doing CPR on a TV show of just the one, two, three, four, five, breathe. You know, it's actually, if you're doing CPR the correct way on somebody in the real world scenarios, you're going to break their ribs. It's going to be vicious and aggressive and traumatic for everybody involved because you are doing something significantly damaging. Um, it's not this clean, simple process. And the reason I say that about cremation is that we, you don't just turn into sand. You know, you're not cigarette butt ash. You're bone and fat and pieces of things. And we don't just turn into this fine powder. The, bo- the human body is this amazing, resilient thing that it takes hours of insanely high heat to reduce somebody to ash and so they they basically they grind us up so that when you spread ashes you're not spreading chunks of so-and-so you're spreading ash that blows away in the wind or spreads into the ocean um here this is crazy the the ash that remains typically roughly represents three and a half percent of the body's original mass. The weight of the bone fragments is so closely connected to the actual skeletal mass of the individual, the weight then varies from person to person. Um, Changes in body composition, such as fat and muscle loss or muscle gain, um, don't really affect the weight of cremated remains. It's the weight of the remains that can be closely predicted from the person's height and gender, or sex, I guess, um, which predicts skeletal weight, um, then it can be predicted from the person's simple weight as well. So ashes of adults said to be between um, a pound to eight pounds uh, for men, with women's ashes generally below six pounds, and men's being generally above four pounds and three ounces, according to these stats that I have here. Uh, Not all that remains is bone. There may be melted metal lumps from missing jewelry, um, casket furniture, like screws and nuts and hinges and plates and things, uh, dental fillings. I have many of those. I have a mouthful of metal. I do not blame my parents. I blame my own bad habits. I don't blame genetics. Um, I have many fillings. I have artificial teeth. I have, I should actually (laughs) see if I can find the photo and upload it to the Instagram. I've got, I had a root canal, um, done when I was in my early twenties and that eventually failed in my late 20s, and I had to have that tooth entirely removed. That was a whole ordeal. And then over the course of a year, they implanted an actual gigantic screw into my jawbone, and then onto that threaded another piece, and then threaded an actual tool, but the x-rays are so metal. I love it. Um, I'll see if I can find that photo and upload it. Um, But I have definite bone uh, connected to metal in my jaw. Um, There's also surgical implants like hip replacements, Uh, breast implants don't have to be removed before cremation, interestingly. They'll leave those in. Uh, But some medical devices like pacemakers do need to be removed before cremation to avoid the risk of explosion, which is crazy. But I suppose that's why you can't just, like, throw a lithium battery in a fire. Um, Large items such as titanium hip replacements, which tarnish but don't actually melt, or casket hinges are usually removed before processing as they could potentially damage uh, the, the crematorium itself. Um, 
if they're missed at first, they actually have to be removed before the processing is complete. Like um, titanium joint replacements, they're just too durable to be ground down. So you actually have to make sure that those are out. That's why they pass that magnetic field over to basically pull all of that out. Um, so if you want to swallow some fun stuff before you die, this is your chance to do it. Like 20 bucks in loose change and then really make the guy's day at the crematorium. He could feel like he won the lottery. But after the remains are processed, these smaller bits of metal like tooth fillings and rings, um, they're actually referred to as gleanings, which that's going to forever change how I use that word going forward. Um, they're sieved out, and they might later be interred in common consecrated grounds in a remote area of the cemetery, basically acknowledging the fact that this needs to be reverently put to earth in a way that is not just throwing it in the trash. So what do you do with the remains then at that point? Uh, you can place them in a vessel, as we've talked about before, place them in a decorative urn and keep them with you, or put them in a mausoleum, or put them somewhere. Um, they're returned to the next of kin in different matters according to custom and country. In the U.S., cremated remains are almost always contained in a thick, watertight polyethylene plastic bag contained with a, uh, a hard snap-top rectangular plastic container, which is labeled, thank God, with a printed paper label. Um, the basic sealed plastic container bag may be contained with a further cardboard box or a velvet sack, or they may be contained within an urn if the family already purchased one. Um, an official certificate of cremation prepared under the authority of the crematorium accompanies the remains, and if required by law, the permit for disposition of the human remains, which must remain with the cremated remains. So you have to basically keep paperwork with it. Um, cremated remains can be kept in an urn stored in a special memorial building called a columbarium. Uh, buried in the ground at many locations or sprinkled on a special field or a mountain or in the sea. Um, in addition, there are several types of services which the cremated remains will be scattered in a variety of ways or locations, like um, carried via a helium balloon or through fireworks or shot from shotgun shells or taken out by boat or scattered from airplane. Um, there's a service that actually sends a lipstick tube-sized sample of the cremated remains into low-earth orbit where they remain for years but not permanently because of, ironically, orbital decay. Um, that's just wild to me. That, you, although I don't know if I'd want it to be just a piece of me, send the whole package. Send me frozen out into space forever. Send me to Mars. Uh, another people, uh, another company offers the ability to turn cremated remains into synthetic diamonds, which can be made into jewelry. Um, that doesn't necessarily, that's not my bag necessarily, but I'd like to hear from people who would either have done that or would have that done because I'm fascinated by that. Um, cremated remains can be put in, uh, in an urn and cement into part of an artificial reef where they can be mixed in with paint and made into a portrait of the deceased. Um, individuals can use small amount of remains in tattoo ink for remembrance portraits. Cremated remains can be scattered in national parks in the U.S. as long as you have a special permit. They can also be scattered on private property with the permission of the owner. A portion of the cremated remains will be retained in a specially designated locket known as cremation jewelry or even blown into special glass keepsakes and like glass jewelry or orbs. There are concerns about ashes having an effect on ecology and the environment. 
it actually is preferable to cremate due to those environmental concerns rather than burial. So burial is known as a source of environmental contaminants with the coffin itself being a major contaminant. Obviously, it's the biggest thing. It's like putting a gigantic pill in the ground. Um, in some countries, like the UK, legislation now requires that crematories be fitted with abatement equipment or filters that remove serious pollutants such as mercury. So the embalming process, because you could have a, a viewing or a funeral, puts things into the body, and then the, the cremation process could potentially release hazardous chemicals. Um, so each cremation uses about 28 gallons or 110 liters of fuel and releases about 540 pounds of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere or 240 kilograms so if you have a million bodies that are cremated annually in the u.s they produce 270,000 short tons of carbon dioxide which is more co2 pollution than 22,000 average homes generate in a year so the environmental impact might be reduced by using crematories for longer periods and not cremating on the same day as the coffins received, which reduces the use of fossil fuel and hence carbon emissions. Um, but cremation is becoming more and more friendly to the environment through natural burials as often as possible. Um, some funeral and crematorian owners offer a carbon-neutral funeral service incorporating efficient burning coffins made from lightweight recycled composite board. I can certainly see a push for that. I will also talk in the future about um, green burials, mushroom suits, and those sort of things. Again, I'll be getting to those at a later date. Um, as far as religious views, like I had said, in some some tenets of Christianity, it was viewed on as a way to desecrate sinners or um, enemies of the church. Um, I, I, I can't speak to a strict degree about other faiths, but I do know that in many of the Indian faiths, um, this is considered, you know, in Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, uh, this is the common and preferred way to go. That this is, uh, this is how they're mourned. The, the rite of passage is performed in harmony with the Hindu religious views, the, the, you know, the microcosm of all living things being a reflection of the macrocosm of the universe, and that the, the soul or your Atman or your Brahman is the, the essence and immortal that is released at the time of the ritual. But both the body and the universe are vehicles and transitory in various schools of Hinduism. Um, Islam strictly forbids cremation. Uh, there are specific rights that they have for treatment of the body after death, but again, I can't speak to those at any depth yet. I would need to do further research. Judaism typically disapproved of cremation in the past, um, although as we've come to the 19th and 20th century, Jewish, century uh, Jewish cemeteries actually became crowded and were running out of space, and as a result, we, they had to start approving cremations in some cases. There are also... Um, I mean, so that's what I've said about practicality, that there's just strictly um, a practical element to this. Um, there are problems with cremation that can come up. Um, a famous example is the Tri-State Crematory. Uh, in early 2002, 334 corpses that were supposed to have been cremated in the previous few years at the Tri-State Crematory were found intact and decaying on the crematorium's grounds in the state of Georgia here in the U.S., which is in the south, um, having been dumped there by the crematorium's proprietor. Many of the corpses were decayed beyond identification. Uh, some families received ashes, in quotes, ashes, that were made of wood and concrete dust. 
So they just literally weren't doing it. They were just burning other stuff that was cheaper, and they just were doing the worst thing, which was just letting the bodies pile up. Uh, the operator, Ray Brent Marsh, had 787 criminal charges filed against him, and on November 19, 2004, Marsh pled guilty to all charges. Or rather, he pleaded guilty to all charges. Um, grammar sticklers, I, I hear you. Uh, Marsh was sentenced to two 12-year prison sentences, one from Georgia and one from Tennessee, to be served concurrently, and he was also sentenced to probation for 75 years following his incarceration. Civil suits were filed against Marsh, and a number of funeral homes who had shipped the bodies to Trisate. The suits were ultimately settled, and the property of Marsh family has been sold, but a collection of the full $80 million judgment remains doubtful. So families have expressed the desire to return the former uh, Tri-State crematory to a natural park-like setting. So I'm, I'm sorry for all of those that had somebody who had uh, a loved one in that circumstance, but to return it to a park state, uh, to return it to a wild setting would be... I suppose as close as you could get to writing that wrong. Um, so there are ways that this can go wrong, but um, hopefully if you're like myself, this has been elucidating, to say the least, that there should be a way through this that you're able to understand a bit more about it. Um, if you've got questions or thoughts about it, please let me know. I'd love to hear what you have to say about cremation and what your experience has been with how how it is, how it goes. and what your take on it is because this is I'm going on my own experience here with my limited interaction with the deceased and uh, you know I'm only going to know my own worldview so please write in let me know and uh, we'll talk more again next week thanks for listening <laughs>